So we're going to do chapter 28. I want to start with a story that uh, I, I must have heard this story over my yeshiva years probably 50 times. This guy's going on 500 uh, plane dives. Let's say 50 Hasidic Fabringens where this was repeated. It's okay. just, it, it's a great one. Okay, here's, here's how it goes. You have the little bird. Little bird is in Russia in the dead of winter and it's freezing. It's on the street. It's freezing cold. And it's trying to find some warmth, but it can't. And it's getting numb. Now it, now it can't even fly. So it's getting like paralyzed. It's sitting in the middle of the road and there's nowhere to go. And this dog walks by. And dogs are not like humans. They don't have to find the stall when it's time to go to the bathroom. So the dog is walking by and he happens to drop his mess right on the bird. So now it's warm. All of a sudden it became warm. And the bird is feeling this new warmth. And so it starts to sing. La 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 la, it's so good, it's so geschmack, it's so warm. <laughs> and this cat who's looking for food sees this, this big pile and he hears noises coming from it. So he starts to pluck and he finds a bird and he has lunch. So this is where the story ends. And then you put in the, the Talmud's line. The Talmud many times quotes an incident and says, class. We can learn three lessons from the story. So the Hasidim used to say, we learn three lessons from this story. Not everybody who directs on you means you bad. Not everybody who dirties you is your enemy. That's the first lesson. Second lesson, not everybody who plucks you from the dreck is your friend. The cat was pulling the bird out, but he wanted lunch. And the third and most important lesson is, if you're wallowing in filth, why are you singing? As the Lichten dreck, was singst du? It's a Yiddish adage. Yeah. And it's a, it's a lesson on, uh, on focus. It's a, lesson, it's a lesson on perspective. Not everybody who dirties you is your enemy. Not everybody who plucks you from the dirt is your friend. And if you're in the dirt, don't sing. Uh, know, know where you are. And essentially, that's the core of the chapter. But I have to lay the groundwork first. So we, we've been coming for the past couple of weeks experiencing a new angle of the Tanya. Till chapter 25, it's just thesis, if I could say that. It's the Alter Rebbe is just letting you know what it is that lies at the core of Hasidic philosophy and how you're supposed to live as a Jew. But then he almost backpedals and says, one second, I got to deal with a, an issue that lies deeper than living the life. And that is the motivation to life. Because the goal of the Tanya is to be an inspired Jew. Not like a tzaddik's level of inspiration where it never turns off, but to be able to tune in and, and, and be focused and be connected to the right things. But inspiration, in order to maintain it, requires an energy, which we've called joy. Joy that's a cause for life, not a consequence of life. So you have to have joy, you have to have energy. In order to have energy, you've got to have fuel. Something's got to be providing the fire. And what the Alter Rebbe sort of discovers, beginning in chapter 26, is that many of his chassidim, while they would love to aspire to the life of the Tanya, but they're struggling with other things that are blocking their fuel. So when the fuel tank is blocked, you can't live the life. You can't jog if you're not fit. And so... What they're coming to the Alter Rebbe with is essentially, I'm bogged down and I can't do it. I'm lacking motivation. And we've seen a bunch of causes. The Alter Rebbe is identifying over these chapters causes for lack of motivation. First, it was the guy who's literally just struggling in life. In other words, his bills are not being paid. He can't focus on, on serving Hashem when, when his financial situation is not, is not right. Then we had a guy who was guilty from negative behaviors. He felt like he abused people and it's... it's um, it's harming his, his uh, perspective. He finds it hard to get out of bed in the morning knowing what he's caused to people. 
And last week we went a little deeper. It was an interesting discussion when, when life itself gets frustrating. The grind of the struggle. You know, why do I have to keep on facing it each day? I'll never win. I'll never get higher. I'll never graduate. What's the point of it all? And to him, the Alter Rebbe said that life is the struggle. That's what you have to appreciate. And today, we're essentially going to be learning a fourth cause. Or let's call it a fourth chassid, a fourth guy. Walking into the Alter Rebbe saying, I lack motivation, but I have a different reason than everything before, everything until now. It's not my financial troubles. It's not my guilt. It's not my Jewish guilt. And it's not even the grind of life. Let's call it, it's the Jewish schizophrenia. It's identity confusion. No, 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 none of us around this table struggle. This is a purely academic exercise we're going to be talking about tonight. Actually, chapter 28 is referenced a lot of times in the Rebbe's works. A lot of people would complain. The, 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 the complaint of the chassid of chapter 28 is something that became a lot more prevalent in the modern era when people became a lot more exposed to the concept of identity and finding yourself and, and you know, wholesomeness with your center. This whole idea that uh, you know, really came to the fore of society in the last couple of decades is, is right here in the heart of chapter 28. The chassid basically says... I'm finding a strange pattern. I'm finding a strange pattern and it's annoying me. The strange pattern is that just when I'm at my best, just when I'm in that moment of inspiration, I'm tuned in, I'm focused, I'm locked in, I'm having a great day. It's almost like uncanny, just then, that my Yetzirah comes up with his biggest temptations and biggest urges. But everything's, but I'm not thinking about spirituality at all. He leaves me alone. The moment everything is lined up for me, I get the biggest disturbance. It's not fair. It's causing me to lose, lose, lose motivation. You know, imagine like you're, you're pumping up for something, you're training for something, and it's just when you get it going that the guy has to come and knock you out. You know, knock me out when I'm getting on my feet. But when I got this momentum going, it's not fair that it has to come right then, and it always comes right then. It's a practical issue first, because, I mean, it's really annoying, and we all know that. You know, we, we all know what it's like to have a good day and uh, a bad day. And we've all been there. We all know what it's like to be on and what it's like to be off. It, it, when we're zoomed in or when we're out of focus, it, it, it's, it's, it's existential. It doesn't matter if it's in relationship, if it's in our own habits, if it's in our workplace, if it's in family. Everybody knows what it's like to be on the, on the right side of things and on the left side of things. And, and nobody wants to be messed up when you're on the right side of things. It's just the way it is. You don't, you don't want to be out of your power when you're just feeling in your power. So this is the practical element of the question. Why is this happening? How come it's specifically in the moments of highest inspiration that I'm getting the highest level of resistance? But then there's a psychological element to the question. The psychological element of the question is, is really <clears throat> What the chassid is asking is, who is the real me? Will the real me please stand up? I feel like a hypocrite. If I would have these you know, great moments of davening and learning and, and, and mitzvahs and Judaism, and then in a completely separate part of the day, I could have urges and lusts and temptations. Okay, I could live with that. I could live with that. I got a holy part to my day, I got a mundane part to my day. I got a refined part of my day, I got a coarse part of my day. But to struggle, like in and of itself, is, is called the Jewish schizophrenia. Who am I? And somehow, us Jews, or maybe it's humans, 
we have this tendency to always fall on the, side, on the negative side of the fence. I must be the bad guy. If I can get lustful thoughts while I'm wrapped in my talus and tefillin, I must be a no good. Yeah, I, I, I must be sick. Worse yet, I must be insincere. This must mean that all my mitzvahs are worthless, that all my good things are negative. Because look at me. I, I, I can't go by Yom Kippur without thinking of something, something ugly. Yom Kippur, you know, we're dressed in white, the rabbi's there, the people, everyone's showing up once a year, and look what I'm thinking about. Or, it doesn't have to be Yom Kippur, it's a regular Tuesday. Oh, today's Tuesday, I just, really, I just picked that. It's a regular Tuesday, and um, I'm trying to focus, trying to be present, and it's just, uh, like we say in South Africa, it's hacking me. It's like the woodpecker. It doesn't stop making noise. <clears throat> so this is this is the uh, this is the issue that the Chassid is complaining of in chapter twenty-eight. It's not my bank account. It's not the daily struggle. It's this confusion that I can't seem to put my finger on who I am. I got a good thing going, and it's always when I got a good thing going that he interrupts. It makes me think, makes me self-diagnose, really, that uh, I'm a double standard guy. I'm just, I'm just not real. I'm a phony. I'm a fake. And everybody knows that where, where the path goes from there. Once you entertain the thought that you mean not well, the, the path to laziness, to, to, to not functioning, to, to giving up, to despair is like, it's so easy and it's so close. So this is, this is dangerous. When the chassid needs the Rebbe's advice, he needs, uh, what did we call it the other week? He needs um, therapy for spiritual health. It's not a mental health thing. This is a spiritual health. Of course, we're talking, a guy who has mental health issues needs a, a doctor, not a tanya. Right? The Tanya is strictly religious. The Alter Rebbe didn't intend for this book to replace psychology, although it does address the psychology of a human being. That's 100%. But this is the Chassid who he feels handicapped because he can't figure out who he is. And, and if the first thing the Alter Rebbe does is dispel a counterintuitive notion. Just going to throw a little Kabbalah out there for a second. There's a, there's a Kabbalistic concept. It's brought down in the writings of the Zohar. I'll just give you the Hebrew title and then I'll translate. It's called Ha'ala'at Hamidot Shel HaMachshava Zara. It literally translates as the elevation of the emotion behind the negative thought. The elevation of the emotion behind the negative thought. What does that mean? It basically, Kabbalah teaches, and one of, it's one of the core teachings that Hasidus is founded on, that there's nothing bad without good. Every negative's got a positive. So, like in our story, you know, the dog, he dumped the mess, but it was a good thing because it warmed him up. Every negative has a positive. A negative experience always has a positive lesson, a positive takeaway, maybe even a positive ending. And in the same way, a negative thought or a negative, let's call it a negative urge, you're entertaining a negative fantasy, an ugly fantasy, you shouldn't be, sinful fantasy. If you think about it, really, there's two elements to this fantasy. There's the subject of your fantasy negative, but there's the power of your fantasy, positive. Think of what the power of your fantasy can do in business. Think of what the power of your fantasy can do in leadership. If you have the power to really crystallize how something looks, that could be used to your success. That could even be used for holy pursuits. It could even be, it could turn into a good thing. 
So, to use the Zohar's words, there's the machshavazara, the negative thought, and then there's the midah, which is the, the, the emotive factor contributing or, 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 or um, giving life to the thought. So the Zohar says, sometimes part of worship, part of service of God, is to separate the power from the subject. To distill the negativity out and retain the positivity. <clears throat> and there's times for it and places for it as Kabbalah delineates. So the first thing the Chassid says, you know, <laughs> he starts giving suggestions to the Alter Rebbe. He, he, he came with a problem and then he wants to give his therapist, you know, here's what I think we should do. But he says, maybe the reason that Hashem is giving me these negative thoughts in the moment of my davening Maybe it's because I'm supposed to engage with the negative thought. Maybe this Kabbalistic process is for me. Maybe I'm supposed to think about the power that I'm investing in the fantasy and separate it from the, from the subject of the fantasy. In English, we'd call this self-analysis. And maybe the Yetzirah is here sending me a sign. I'm supposed to think deeper into who I am. Let me get more involved in what I'm facing. I mean, after all, I'm confused. I'm, I'm looking for a reason why Hashem would send me this right in the middle of my spiritual service. Maybe He wants me to engage in this uh, elevation process. So the Altar Rebbe says, let's just set the stage here. First things first, no. No, that's not for you. And in effect, I'm not going to use the Altar Rebbe's exact words. They're very harsh. But in effect, he says, if you're lying in the dirt, why are you singing? If you're the one tied down enough to have negative thoughts, how are you going to bring it up? You're in the pit. You're in the basement. Can't pull yourself out. The Talmud says a prisoner can't free himself of his own shackles. It's a Talmudic statement, but it's, it's, a, it's a truth. It's a universal truth. When you're trapped, you can't free yourself. So, please... That's not why you're getting these negative thoughts. He says, leave that to the tzaddikim. A tzaddik, the Zohar teaches, sometimes will, Hashem will infiltrate, so to speak, his mind with someone else's negative thought so that he can help them. It was a, a, it was a Hasidic master, not one of the Chabad Rebbes, but he, he, um, he was leading his shul one day and... Uh, he was always extremely focused in his davening, you know, never distracted. And one day, after Shemana Esrei, it's the middle of Shachris, after Shemana Esrei, he turns around and he starts walking across the shul. Highly unusual. You know, he never moved from his place. So everyone's you know, watching, where is the rabbi going? Taking a morning walk. He walks to the back of the shul. And there's this guy there regular congregate and he said the Rebbe goes over to him and he says Shalom Aleichem welcome back how you been? because Rebbe welcome back I, I, I live here I haven't I haven't been anywhere he says no you were just uh, in Leipzig no? in the market weren't you? he says no I'm sitting here the whole time he says tell me what were you thinking about? during Shemana Esrei. You were just davening to Hashem. And the guy basically admitted that while he's mumbling the words, he, was, he traveled to the market, and he's conducting business, and he made a whole thing. So the Rebbe felt it. And he says, Shalom Aleichem, you know, welcome back. Welcome back to Shul. Welcome back to town. So the, the you know. This happens all the time to of course, you know there's there's a there's a verse. There's a most of the time. The good news is the rabbis don't feel it. You know we're we're on our own trips. But there's, there's a verse in one of the most famous chapters of Tehillim, you know, chapter twenty. We're saying it all the time for sick people. It says, "Elev arechev ve'elev asusim." Literally, it means these come with the power of chariots, 
these come with the power of horses and we come with the power of Hashem. But the, my teachers used to joke, they used to tell us, you know, these guys take trips with their chariots. These guys take trips with horses. For the students, for you yeshiva students, all you have to do is mention God's name and you're already in a different place. You're already taking a trip to, uh, to Leipzig. But that, that, that's the first point that the Alter Rebbe says. He says, look, you know, don't, this is not a righteous thing. If you're, you're having these thoughts during davening, it's not a good sign. So, scratch that. You know, that's off the table. You're not elevating sinful fantasies now. But the second point, the Alter Rebbe basically makes four points. That's the body of the chapter. The second point the Alter Rebbe says, though, and this is much more optimistic, he says, you're having the strongest temptation when you're in the midst of davening? You can be proud. You can be proud. Proud. Why proud? He says, what do you think the Yetzir Hara's job is? Why do you think Hashem put in the second voice? The second voice is there to challenge the first voice. And the challenge is, and here's the, here's the clincher, he says the challenge is going to be commensurate with your output. In other words, if you were giving Judaism 60%, yeah, your Yetzirah will react with 60%. If you find that your evil inclination is reacting with 100%, you know what that means? It means you're giving it 100%. Huh? Me? No problem. No problem. He won't. He won't. That's the proof. The ver- so, so in other words, the Alter Rebbe is now taking the negativity and turning into a positive. He says, almost like, and it's you know, it's commonsensical. Like, what do you expect when you're going for the kill? He's going to go for the kill. Anybody that's watched a boxing match or a wrestling match knows this principle. You know, two guys that are fighting. Everyone's always looking for the edge, you know, when you can catch him, not aware. That's when you deliver the knockout punch. You're always looking. But when you find that moment, you're actually the most vulnerable. In other words, when, when, when you think you've got it, it could be right there, he has this plan, and now he's gonna come back at you. You're overconfident. You're overconfident, that's the word I was looking for, yeah. Overconfidence. Psyching yourself up too much. Now you get too excited about where you're going, you leave room for the other guy. So he says, you, you, what you have to picture your holy experience Let's say it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a learning experience. You're trying to focus, trying to stay present to the Torah, trying to stay involved. And you find that he's coming and knocking you out with 100% distraction, that means you're doing good. Because when you're exerting yourself, when you're putting out that final oomph, when you're putting out that final oomph, he's gonna come back with his final oomph. So good news, my, my, my dear follower, says the Altair, but good news. If you find yourself getting distracted 100%, that means you're involved 100%. For the people that don't get distracted? Well, remember the, um, well, this is weeks and months ago probably for us, the, uh, the boring Benoni. Remember him? No fight, no struggle, no temptation. He's just living through it. Nobody celebrates that. You know, like, you know, kind of a part of us might want to be there sometimes, but in the end, it, it's cheap. So, yeah, the struggle upsets us. Yeah, we get annoyed as to why it has to happen, you know, right when I'm feeling it great. But the truth is, we want it that way. We don't want the free, the free lunch, free pass. Yeah, let me sail through this. 
That's why being a tzaddik is harder than you imagine. You know, like sometimes we, we like to be a tzaddik, but it's tough. There's no struggle. You have to imagine what life is like with no struggle. You know, in 1960... Uh, so the Benoni is... He has the thoughts, but he doesn't... I mean, it comes to him naturally. Yeah, he gets the urges. He gets the urges, he has to live the struggle. But he oh, never... He still lives the struggle. He lives the struggle, never acts on it. Okay. Which is what makes him champion. You know, versus us who... Not every day, but we compromise sometimes. Weak. But it, it's, it's a big thing, life, life without struggle. You know, in, in 69, when the... Um, first when it was the first space mission that orbited the moon and then when the man landed on the moon is it really yeah yeah wow yeah. the moon landing yeah. july 20 20th july 20th 69 what is that place at 51 52 years 52 years yeah I, this thing just came to me and i'm thinking why no the rebbe said a talk the Rebbe addressed the current events of the moon landing extensively. It's a big thing with him. Learning lessons from the spacecraft and from uh, the ability of man to probe the genius of, of God. Huh? Because it's there. Because it's there. Oh, is that why? Okay. So, so one of the lessons the Rebbe said was that... Um, one of the paradoxes of the spaceship, and I'm not a, a full scientist, so those that know will, will, will you know, give me the terminology, but basically part of what allows a plane to move or a car to move is the friction that's coming against it, right? Because you're, you're moving against it, you can create the air pressure that allows for the, you know, the wings to go up. But when you get to space, there's no pressure. Nothing's combating you. So how does the spaceship move forward in space till it hits orbit? So from what I understand, they have a thrust that gets created from fuel. They kind of create the tension, right? They, they, they've, they, they've machinized it into the, into the spaceship. And then once all the fuel is used up from the tank, now it's just dead weight. It's, it's um, programmed to release that, right? It, it kind of falls off the spaceship, if I'm correct on what I'm saying. Right? Yeah, it, the tanks, the tanks go off. So now it's lighter. And now that it's lighter, it's going against the pressure, and then there's more thrust, and it, the cycle repeats itself. But the, the, the core idea is that the people that wanted to send the spaceship out in space had to create a struggle for the spaceship itself, otherwise it wouldn't be able to move. Because when you, reach, when you reach a place of no struggle, the journey ends. So counterintuitively, it's good to have a struggle. It kind of ties into the thing we spoke about last week. The struggle is the end, not the means. So be proud. Be proud that you're struggling, be happy, be thankful that you're struggling. It's like, right? It has the complete opposite than like, like what you think. God likes workers. Same thing when you jump out of a plane, right? Same thing when you jump out of a plane. You got resistance. That's exactly it. Resistance. Go fast. It's right until you pull the. You can actually see that. So there was some guy that jumped from space a long time ago and jumped from the outer atmosphere. Generally, when you jump out of plane, because of the resistance of the wind, you can easily just adapt your body to be whatever you want. But he, he jumped out and he just kept turning, he just kept on tumbling because he couldn't adjust his body. Well, how do you no stop resistance. yourself from tumbling if you don't have resistance exactly. or anything? Right. So, so as soon yeah. as he came back into the atmosphere, you see he came right. But like for about maybe, I think maybe 20 seconds, he was just tumbling and, and he couldn't come right. Wow. That was the craziest thing I ever saw. Yeah, it's, that's, wow. the, that's the red... The Red, the Red, Red Bull, Bull Space Jump, if you Google it, yeah. you can see everything. Red Bull Space Jump. I mean, that, 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 matches what matches the theme perfectly. It's, it's exactly it. And then he moves to the third point, 
which I think is the most powerful and what makes chapter 28 for me the home run is where the Alter Rebbe addresses this schizophrenia he says you know, we have this tendency as human beings to think we've reached a certain level in anything and then when we discover that we're not we get disillusioned with ourselves you know, almost angry at ourselves you go, yeah, sure, I can keep kosher no problem, I, I, I got it in me and then you start getting to the nitty gritty I gotta get two sets of dishes and I gotta redo my kitchen and now not everything in the store is, is you know, for the taking and then you start discovering hey, it's, maybe it's not as easy as I thought it was and then you get mad at yourself like, why couldn't I do it? I thought I had it in me or you're going for a workout. You know, eh, I can do the bench press, no problem. Yeah. And you go like, oh, you walk into the gym, you're confident. And then you start. And all of a sudden, you're out of, you're out of fuel. You can't get past 10 reps. And you're going like, what's going on with me? I thought I had it in me. You start blaming yourself. And like, you're almost shocked. Like, what? I couldn't do that? or in a relationship, or in business, or you, you, you put in, you know, insert here what it is that we think we can do, and then when we don't, or, or when, we, when we come up against the barriers, we're all of a sudden, and we always shift to the negative. We're always going to that side of, what? I couldn't do it? Shame on me. So the Alter Rebbe says, beware of that. When you start asking yourself, who is the real me? How is it that I engage in the spiritual, I engage in the right, I engage in the correct, I'm locked in, I'm focused, and then he comes to disturb me. I must be the bad guy. I must be insincere, no good, Nick, fake, phony. Not, not the real McCoy. It's very dangerous. And he says, let me remind you of something we said in chapter one. For us, this is maybe 10 years ago. I don't know when. Chapter one, the, the groundwork of the Tanya is that every Jew has two souls. Godly soul and animal soul. Remember that? That's like from the beginning, beginning. Godly soul, animal soul. In other words, you have two voices. The disillusionment comes because you think you're one voice. You know, you, you think when I made the decision to put on tefillin every day, my animal soul said, yeah, let's do this. No, no. Your animal soul said, we'll see about that. Your godly soul is all in. But your animal soul is just sitting on the side saying, okay, let me see how this plays out. And the first day it's easy, but then the second day you got a meeting at eight o'clock, got to be out of the house at 7.30, no time for tefillin, you're coming back home, it's late supper, well, sun's going down, da-da-da-da-da, and the Yitzhahara is going, it's okay, leave it be, you'll get it, put on tefillin tomorrow. And we start thinking, wait, I, I, I thought I made the decision, but it's a different voice. The Alter Rebbe says you would be right in blaming yourself if you only had one soul. If we only had one soul, you'd be, you'd be 100% correct to blame yourself. How could it be that one second you're this, the next second you're that, in the same second you're both? But if you find yourself with two different voices because you have two different voices, well, of course, you have two different voices. We're made up of a nefesh elokit, nefesh abahamit, godly soul, animal soul. Basically, you're not schizophrenic, you're normal. Can I say, uh, when, when Torah from the sponsor, that one was, okay. sport, that one was sports from the sponsor, this is Torah from the sponsor. Like yes. You just realize that. I got this from my Bartas. He says that a Jew always has to be, uh, you have to embrace kind of the schizophrenic mindset where you have two dualities, where you have, for example, you've got to know that all your finances and your, and your livelihood all comes from God. And no matter what you do, it's going to be the, what, what, what he ordained. Knowing that, you've got to go into the world and work like you're going to get nothing. Wow. That's what he says. 
That's powerful. The Jew, the Rebbe used to say in, the, in, the, in, his, in his last years, he would always, always quote this. A Jew has to live on the edge of a sword. A Jew has to live a paradox. And this is a great example of it. God promises, everything is ordained in my hands. Rosh Hashanah is getting decree what exactly you're going to make, how much money, da 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 Same time, you've got you to put in the work. And you've got to put in the work as if you're getting nothing. In other words, it's all in your hands. So what is it? Is it all in my hands or all in his hands? Well, that's the paradox of Jewish life. Quantum, it's both. Or it's both. It's that's right. When you get to the core of reality, both can be true at the same time. But, and, and, that's what, and that's what we're saying here. Both can be true at the same time. Your godly voice is saying this. Your animal voice is saying that. And, and because of that, something very profound comes out, which is that you can never discredit good on the basis of bad. The Rebbe would always apply this to his mitzvah campaigns. I mean, we, I, I think it's fair to say that one of his complete innovations, one of the Rebbe's complete novelties that he introduced was the idea of the, the infinite price tag on a single act of goodness. And he encourages Hasidim to go out and put on tefillin on people. You don't know where the guy was yesterday. You don't know where he's going to be tomorrow. You don't know where he was this morning. And you don't know where he'll be tonight. And he, he may have never put on tefillin. He may never put on tefillin afterwards. And uh, you, yet we tell him, put on tefillin today. Why? What, what's, what's the point of it? It's not even in the beginning a series of actions. It's nothing. Tell a woman, light Shabbat candles this week. Never did it before. Not planning to do it after. Atheist. Non-believer. Do one act. Rabbi, why should I eat kosher at your event? I'm going to go home and eat lobster afterwards. It's a reasonable argument, you know? And people made it to the Rebbe. They wrote letters. You know, like hate mail. You know, what are you... Like, what, what, what's the point of this campaign? I don't... You know, it, it doesn't ring true. You want to sit down with a guy, educate him, get him started on a path. I get that. But you're literally plucking a guy off a corner of Manhattan and you're telling him to wrap... To fill in, say these words. He doesn't even know what it means, you know. <laughs> I mean, I, I've, I, I've had this experience countless times because I, I went to those corners and met those Jews who don't even know what to fill in are. It's another story why their heart gets inspired. I, I always love that, you know. It can be the snowiest day, you guys are rolling up their sleeves, they don't even know why. But they're doing it. What's the point of it? And the Rebbe said, the, the, the premise of the question is that there's almost this canceling out system. Or if I do one good deed today, but tomorrow I do another one, bad deed, it cancels it out. No. The act of tefillin that you did today counts on its own. It came from your godly soul. It's an expression of godliness. It's a celebration of the divine. You're carrying in a godly, potent energy into the universe. What you do tomorrow is your own decision and it has no- nothing to do. It's a different voice. It's the, it's the animal soul talking. It's the Yetzir Hara. It's the weakness. And it's not who you were yesterday when you wrapped to fill it. That's the extreme picture. But the Alter Rebbe says the same thing to his chassid. You know, our teachers used to tell us that. They say, you know, you, you, you guys are so good at justifying the street corner Jews, but you, yet you guilt, you guilt yourselves to, to the extreme. You're like, you're like your, your own harshest critics. The guy on the street... You can find a million reasons why it's okay that today he did something good and tomorrow he does something bad. But for yourselves, you can't find the same justification. You're the same human. You're the same Jew. Yeah, you're doing more mitzvahs. You're more in tune with the godly way of life. But you're also going to struggle. And when you do, remind yourself, I'm two. I'm two voices. I'm, I'm, I'm a living, walking, breathing duality. And in that duality, one day I'm going to experience all-time high inspirations. The next day I'm going to experience all-time low negativity. How do, you, how do you keep from making that an excuse? That's a good point. excuse for what? Yeah, yeah. An excuse to take a permit. To take a permit, yeah. Take a... 
<laughs> yeah, it's my animal soul after all. Yeah. So of course the, the answer is yeah, you, you the answer is you're responsible to control it. You're responsible to feed it, to feed that wolf. And uh, and and you know what the truth is, and this is what what I find in, in speaking with people, is that uh, we're we're more in tune with our own inner compass than we think. Like, we'll, we'll, if we're honest, we'll know how to make the calls. That was a slip up. I gave my animal soul too much control. I'm not gonna let it get take me over, but I'm not gonna let it, you know, just slide. So I'm gonna get back on the horse and, and you know, refocus, recenter, and I'm gonna regain control. But you're right, it is, it is I, I guess it is dangerous. It is, it is slippery slope, and it's the same self-awareness that we have to be carrying whole time to make sure we don't slip up. Oh. I remind myself of something but anyway. Does the author ever give a recipe as to control? Yeah. He does give a recipe. You know what? I'll, I'll jump to that right now. He, he says something interesting. Wow. Light, air. Thank you, Phil. Thank you. Better. <laughs> Thank you. I'll just talk a little louder. <clears throat> the tool, huh? No, no. The, the tool the Alter Rebbe gives. In this chapter, there's many tools, but in, in this chapter what he says is, he gives you a, 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 an imagery to, to envision. Because imagine you came in to Shul, to Davin. You came into Shul to Davin, and another God gets in your face, and you can see he's on a mission to disturb you. Hey, just picture that. You come into shul, you're trying to sit down and get your sitter open, and the guy's just in your ears. You know, I was like, listen, man, I got to talk to you about the business deal. Look, I'm trying to daven. I know, but I got to talk to politics now. We have an important thing. And he's just hacking you. Again, he's hacking you. But now it's another guy. Okay, it's not within you. It's another person. What is, what is the response that you, need to, that you need to give him? Is it to negotiate? Is it to engage? Or is it to completely ignore and just move on with what you're doing? The second, the second you engage is the second you've surrendered. If a guy comes with an agenda to disturb you, the response is total disregard. So the Alter Rebbe says, your mission as a, as a human is to, is to learn within to see your second voice as a second person. And just like with a distinct entity, you can make that calculation that it's not worth it to engage. I, I gotta just keep moving. Put on the blinders and just keep going. That should be your response to Yitzhar. Because if you begin to respond, if you begin to self-analyze, and uh, yeah, let's talk this through. I hear what you're saying. Let me take that down. Let me take some notes. That, that's the second you've, you, you've lost the battle. What about giving Tzedakah during this period? Like someone walks in for... Yeah, well, he's not there to disturb you. See, the, the, the idea is... But that it the, is distracting. It is distracting, and that's maybe something he can work you on. Overlook it? No, you shouldn't overlook it, because it, it's not his agenda. You see, your Yitzhahara's agenda is to distract you. The guy who wants to drill in your ear for whatever reason his agenda is to distract you when a guy has an agenda to distract you by the way the Alter Rebbe and Tanya it's interesting he, he doesn't use a Jew he uses a non-Jew it's almost like uh, you know they, to me the message is it can never really be a Jew who would just want to throw you off the rails it would have to be a non-Jew but anyway there's a non-Jew distracting you and but, but that, that's the recipe. The recipe is sometimes you got to ignore and not enter into debate. 
Once the dialogue is open, you lose. And we all know those people. I mean, the guys that you, you don't want to open your mouth with. Because the second you open your mouth, you, 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 you lost. It's like, uh, you guys ever hear Rabbi Dove Greenberg? From, uh, he's a shliach in California, but in the university. Anyway, he always tells this story where he, was, he came to lecture on, uh, on a college about Israel and why Israel does what it does in the Middle East and how it's justified in its military strategy or whatever it was that he was addressing that day. So he could see in the crowd that you had these guys that were just there to, to disturb, you know, just there to make a scene. And, and literally, right as he got talking, he started to talk, and this guy in the front row starts heckling him. Da, 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 Palestine, free Palestine, da, 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 the whole business. So he, he stopped the speech, and he turned to the guy, said, sir, what's your name? This is Andrew. This is Andrew. Why don't you tell everybody here today, why don't you tell everybody why you killed your grandmother last night? Why you killed your grandmother last night? <laughs> wow. Guy goes, he goes, what? He says, yeah, tell us why, why? Why'd you do it? Why'd you kill your grandmother? Guy's like, I didn't kill my grandmother. He's like, what? don't deny it. Don't deny it, just tell us why. And Guy's getting more embarrassed. The faces are turning at him. And he, anything he says, he loses. And so, and he set him up. And he made his point, which is, there are certain conversations that the second you open your mouth, it, it, the accusation is so wild, it's so, it's so out of touch with reality, that anybody who responds, you lose. It's like, why'd you kill your grandmother? It's so outlandish that there's nothing you can say to protect it. And so he said, this, what happens with Israel is that nobody wants to enter into dialogue. Everybody just wants to come out and say, why'd you kill civilians? Why'd you do this? And anything you say, until you respect the dialogue, you know, until you respect the situation, anything you say, you, you, you lose. It was, a good, uh, it was a good exercise he did. But the, the takeaway, you know, from there is that sometimes talking does more damage than good. The Yetzirah is bent on attacking you. Don't start the conversation. Is that part of Scafia? You know, it could be. Yeah, it could be. It's, it's like self-regulating Scafia. He categorically, he quotes the Talmud, the altar, and he says, the Talmud says, anybody, anybody who wrestles with a dirty man becomes dirty. That's, that's just the nature of it. You're going to enter into the fight with a dirty guy, you will get dirty. I don't care if you win, you might win. You might knock him down to the ground, you're going to walk away dirty. This is in the same way the Yetzirah is coming with that attitude. Don't even engage. And then in the last three lines, the Alter Rebbe gives a fourth point to the frustrated chassid. And, and the way this was taught to me in my early years, and it, it, it rings true, is that these last four lines really go back to all the past three weeks. All of the complaints of lack of motivation have had specific solutions. Financial struggles, more belief in God. You're guilty, set aside a specific time. You're frustrated with life, the struggle is where it's at. You know, you're, you're feeling schizophrenic. No, it's two, it's two voices. But then he says in the end, the very end of chapter 28, the Rebbe says, sometimes there's no answer. Sometimes you have to turn your eyes to heaven and just say, God, have mercy on me.
My addiction is too big. My struggle is too large. I'm turning it over to you. Help me. And there's a reason he puts it at the end because it's not, it's not a free pass. You got to put in the work. Like you said, you, know, you got to go in thinking you're making nothing. You put together the puzzle. Move around the pieces. And then sometimes you have every right to just say, Hashem, it's too big a load. I need your help. And he will help. Dr. Rebbe says, you're a godly soul. That means, by definition, you're part of God. To God, helping you is helping himself. Why wouldn't God want to help himself? When it's an authentic, deep, work-filled cry of exhaustion, Hashem will come through for you. When he sees that you've put in the work, you've laid the groundwork, you've done the, you've done the legwork, and it's, it's too much. Hashem, I need help with my anger. It's overcoming me when I least expect it. I'm doing my best. Help me be calm today. I'm sure he'll, he'll see you through on that. Hashem, I'm trying to make it right with the guy that I wasn't honest with. He keeps on accusing me. I need help. Da-da-da-da. It's going to come. Hashem, I want to make the next step. I want to take the next step in my Jewish observance. I'm coming up against a barrier. I need your help. Boom, he's there. Because when he sees the honest outcry of the Jew, it's the natural thing for a father to help his child. And really, it's helping himself. So that's the hierarchy. Don't think you're too righteous to be dealing with separating fantasy. That's not for you. Be proud that your Yitzhahara is coming out commensurate with your output. It's a good thing. It means you're doing well. Always remember that you're two voices. Never think, never guilt yourself into schizophrenia because it's two eyes and they're on two different missions. And remember that in the end, Hashem will make the final call. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah.